You are listening to season three of the Not Neurotypical podcast. I'm your host, Laura Stan, and this season has a very new big plot twist. So hold on tight, strap on your seatbelts, because it's still going to be a bumpy ride. And is that bumpy ride ever going to get smoother? Season three of the Not Neurotypical podcast is proudly sponsored by Timo, the award-winning app designed to support neurodivergent people with routine and scheduling. Head to your app store and type T-I-I-M-O to learn more. everybody. I'm your host, Laura Stan. And real quick before we get started, I wanted to make sure that all of you have the supports that you need for this episode. And what I mean by that is I am throwing out a lot of information in a very short time. And for those who need those extra visual supports, or if you're easily overwhelmed, but you really feel like you need this information to help yourself get organized, I am attaching a pamphlet basically go to the link in the description, click on that, sign up, and a pamphlet will come right to your email inbox. And you can kind of follow along if you'd like. And it's basically visually helping you kind of process a lot of this information. And like I said, it's a lot of information in a short time. And also at the end, there is even a 30-day declutter guide to kind of help you plan out your schedule if you'd like. So I have given you those things. Go to the link in the description, give me your email address, and I will send it right to your email inbox. Thank you. Hello and welcome. It is Tuesday, October 13th. And as I stated a few weeks ago, I am going to be here every Tuesday recording and releasing a new podcast. And today I am so excited. We are going to be diving into getting organized for neurodivergent adults and neurodiverse families. And if you didn't know, I am a professional organizer. It's something that I've been doing for many years. I own my own business. I have worked with all types of people. I have gone into the homes of politicians, lawyers, doctors, all kinds of doctors, psychiatrists, ER nurses and doctors and um, surgeons and teachers and principals and everything, like every profession you can think of. And my point in that is not to gloat. It's because I want to emphasize that being disorganized has nothing to do with intelligence or um, disability necessarily um, or anything. All different types of people are disorganized or might have specific challenges related to getting and staying organized. And while neurodivergent adults and kids may have a tendency to be disorganized, it is something that everyone can learn and grow in. Being organized is a skill. It's a muscle that you have to work out and figure out. The problem is that everyone 
needs different help and support and methods and systems to get organized and stay that way. And sometimes getting organized is very different than maintaining it. So we're going to talk about that. This is a hard thing to talk about because, like I said, it is so individualized. But I'd like to discuss the known markers that I have found that seem to help the most neurodivergent people. And we are going to talk all about getting organized for neurodivergent individuals, whether they are kids and adults. And also I'll throw in some family oriented tips as well for any parents who are listening. And I just want to say first that this is something that I have deeply struggled with. When I was a kid, obviously, I was autistic. I just didn't know it yet. Um, And I didn't even know that I had ADHD until about 12. So there was many years of struggling and not really understanding why and not, not that I got the diagnosis and everything made sense because in the 90s, you got an ADHD diagnosis and no one gave any education to me or my parents. I didn't really know what it meant. It was just like, oh, okay. And then I was given medication and that was it. Uh, it was before the internet and my parents still didn't bother to like go to the library and research it and figure out how they could support me at the time. They thought that medication was the support and that was all that was needed. And while I am not anti-medication at all, if you need it, it is a part of a complete treatment plan. It's not the treatment plan. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people need medication to get to the point where they can work on certain things in their life. And ADHD is no exception to that. And what the medication is, is supposed to do is help you get to the point where you can work on things that you need to work on and improve areas of your life. But so often we're just thrown medication as support and that's about it. But we still have to learn how to do things that are going to help us either stay organized or create a routine that is meaningful for us or keep our house clean or keep our workspaces clean and everything else. So it's so important to remember that this is something that is so important and whether you're medicated or not, it's really important to make sure that you are looking at well-rounded treatment to help along with this stuff because neurodivergent people are typically faced with more so than the general population, executive dysfunction. And executive dysfunction is basically, it's so cruel because executive dysfunction is basically dysfunction that happens in your frontal lobe and executive dysfunction is planning, being organized. Um, It is where emotion regulation is happening. It is where we are impulsive, um, all kinds of stuff. So it's really, really important that we work on those skills and develop them. And a lot of us who are in our 20s, 30s, 40s, and up never 
ever really had help in this area. So as you grow and you get more and more responsibilities, it can feel like you're just kind of sinking very slowly. And it's really hard to get yourself out of it because the more stress that you have, the more um, depression that happens and the more anxiety that comes. And when you're adding in mental health issues that are caused by not knowing how to help yourself, it's even harder. It's something that compounds over time and it gets harder and harder and harder to help. And for some reason, when you go to the doctor, a lot of the times you're met with, oh, um, just try harder. Or, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from teachers. Uh, just try harder. Or here, try this. This will help. And then there's really like no direction. But so often we need things laid out for us in a different way than the general population, or we need extra supports in certain areas. We may be really good with certain things and not others. So it's one of those things that we are kind of opening a Pandora's box, but I'm going to do my best to make points and tips to help the most amount of people that I can. So the number one issue in America of all neurotypes is clutter. Clutter is something that everyone struggles with because capitalism. Capitalism has a goal of getting consumers, which is who we are, to consume as much as possible, as much food, as many clothes, shoes, items, furniture. There are people who buy bigger houses for their stuff. More than 50% of adults in America own a storage unit and they go there about twice a year. So it's literally crap that they don't need. Um, I read a a statistic somewhere that over 50% of people with a two-car garage in America can't even park one car in there because there is so much crap. And these are real things. So these are things that consumers have issues with, any consumer. So when you are dealing with executive dysfunction on top of living in a heavy consumer environment like how we live, everywhere we go, everything we do, we see an ad. We are we are getting things that are grabbing our attention to buy, 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 and consume, consume, consume. This is incredibly unhealthy for especially neurodivergent people, people with poor impulse control, people who um, may be buying things to try to feel better, like compulsive buying. That's something that people, whether neurodivergent or not, but people with mental health issues often are more prone to that. So it's really important that we are aware that this is something that a lot of people struggle with. More than 50% of America, no matter what type of diagnosis or what type of neurotype they are, they have these issues. And people in all professions. In fact, what I've noticed is the people with more stressful jobs 
more than anything, have serious issues with staying organized. And that's because they don't have a lot of time to upkeep. When they get home, they're tired. So people with money, well, they hire people to kind of help them keep their home clean and organized. But what do the people do that really can't afford that? So here's my help to you. Clutter it's really important to understand that clutter is not just physical. Clutter can be digital, mental, or even spiritual. Clutter is anything in our lives that we don't need. Sometimes it's things that we don't even want, but we just don't know how to get rid of. So it's really important to realize that clutter is not just that stack of papers on your kitchen table it is digital as well. And what do I mean by that? So digital clutter can be uh, 1,000 screenshots (laughs) on your phone that you've never kind of gone through. Um, It can be a really disorganized and crowded desktop on your computer. Uh, Don't even get me started on your email inbox. I mean, all of these things are digital clutter. Mental clutter is stress, anxiety, intrusive thoughts, um, too many ads on your phone, like things like that. We, especially if you're neurodivergent as a kid or an adult, any, any age, you are probably consuming ads a little different than a neurotypical. And what do I mean by that? We really do process and take in more than neurotypicals do typically. We are more affected by visual clutter. And that means you may be more likely to have a cluttered home and it's going to hurt you worse. It's going to affect you even worse. It's going to overwhelm you more, possibly, depending on the person. But that's something we are really susceptible to. So what are some situations that can cause clutter in our lives? Of course, mental health issues like depression and anxiety, which cause executive functioning challenges or different neurotypes like being autistic, ADHD, um, bipolar, borderline personality disorder. These are different mental health issues as well as neurotypes that are known to have issues with clutter. Um, What about situational things like dealing with grief of loss in your family or friend? Um, It's very common for people to have a period of time in their lives after they are experiencing grief or loss where they just cannot maintain their home and it gets very disorganized. And some people It's something that they struggle with for years or even possibly their whole life after struggling with grief or loss. So that's something that is very serious, that maybe you were an extremely organized person when you were younger and then an event happened and it became very hard to manage. And also stressful home or work environments. Um, If you don't have a very comfortable home life or there are some rocky relationships in your home, that is absolutely going to affect your home environment, including how you keep things clean and organized. 
and stressful work environments. If you are spread too thin at work or you work really long hours, the last thing you want to do is come home and clean. Like right now, I'm thinking of nurses and doctors and um, essential personnel dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. They are probably spread more thin in their jobs than they ever have been before. And I imagine when you come home, the last thing you want to do is clean more and and have all that anxiety and and extra deep cleaning and organizing and all of that. Also, um, stressful relationships in your life, whether in the home or outside of it, can definitely cause you to have issues with clutter. And it's really important to also recognize, and my number one tip today is that being organized is a state of mind. I think a lot of people think of organization as something that happens, uh, something that someone purchases or it just kind of happens and organized people are just naturally good at it. Um, And if you're disorganized, you're just not good at it and that's the way it is. But that's really not how it is. When someone is an organized person, it's because their mind is organized and your home is often a reflection of what's going on inside of you. So if you are feeling a little out of control inside your head and mind, it's very possible and very likely that your home is also a little out of control. And it's really important too that you understand how much planning goes into being organized. And it's not something that is done once or twice a year. It's a priority to organize people all the time. It's something that they're always working toward, and it's something that makes them happy. They feel rewarded by being organized and and maintaining their home in a certain way or their workspace, and they feel that focusing on that on a regular basis feels good, and it's rewarding for them, and they enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, that makes it a lot harder. So we can't always control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond to the things that happen to us. And that's the main point, that even organized people who that's what they focus on and that's what they enjoy, they want their home clean and tidy all the time, those people still have things happen to them and then they have to overcome those challenges. So it's really important to realize that organization starts in your head. It is ongoing. It's something that is all the time. You have to incorporate it into your routine every day. And I know that sounds scary, but it's so important. And if you are a parent and you have a family, um, it's so important to start your kids young and get them involved in your home organizing process. It is so good, especially for neurodivergent kids who have planning and organizational challenges because those challenges don't just go away. They have to learn by doing and seeing things done a certain way. Typically, they're more visual and things like that. So getting them involved and especially the tactile kids who sometimes need to do things to really learn 
it's so great to get your kids involved as early as possible. When they, when my kids started walking, that is when, when they could start grabbing things, picking things up and throwing things all around the house. Then I knew they were ready to start throwing things in a bin to clean it up. That's what you have to do. And of course, it's something that happens over time and it takes years, but it's a lot easier if you are starting your kids out as young as possible, helping you organize and clean, then trying to start that, say, in middle school or high school. Yeah, that's what my parents kind of did, and it didn't work out for them so well and didn't work out for me so well either. So that's just a heads up. So now I have for you the 10 tips to get you and or your family organized for neurodivergent individuals. It's so important that we go over each one and then kind of dive into each one individually. So first, I'm just going to read you out the 10 tips that I have, and then we will kind of go into it. So hang in there. This is going to be good, I promise. But first, you map out your plan. Basically, you make sure to add all areas that you want to target and make a list. Two is to streamline. Once you have your list, then you kind of plan out if you're going to tackle it area by area or by category. And that means either clothes would be a category or your closet, basically, where you just deal with one thing at a time or one type of item at a time. Three, be realistic. This is one of the biggest things. As you are planning and scheduling, make sure you schedule yourself time for when you're most likely to complete the work. Basically, don't plan to get everything done all at once because that's not going to happen. I know that happens on TV, but that doesn't really happen for the average person. And also, don't plan at times when you're going to be really distracted. Like don't plan to do a lot of things while you're supposed to be working from home and things like that. Four, be prepared. It's common for roadblocks to happen. So know that, prepare yourself, and be ready to reschedule things as needed. Five, be intentional. When going through this process, ask yourself, do I really need this item? Do I really want this? Is this useful to me? Or does it take up too much room? Things like that. But we'll go more into that. But be intentional. Keep yourself and who you are in mind. Six, as always, minimize distractions. When you are working, turn off your phone, the TV, don't look at social media, and basically block out any other common distractions. It does often help me to turn on music though. So number seven, stay on task. That sounds like one of those things where, where you're like, um, could you please focus to someone who has ADHD? And I know that's really frustrating or telling like people who are anxious to like chill out. I know that, but I don't mean it in that way. Basically staying on task means when you dedicate time to one thing, only do that thing. And I know that sounds really simple and basic, but I'm someone who needs to hear things like that. So you probably are too if you're listening to this podcast. Eight, add to the end. If you realize you forgot something or say you're doing things a little out of sequence that you had planned, 
just forget about it and add it on to the end. Don't be hard on yourself. Just add it on to the end. Stress-free. Problem solved. Tip number nine, be responsible. If you are decluttering, basically, I want you to try to donate things that are gently used or in good condition to local charities or foundations or give it to people who actually need it. Um, Of course, you have to throw away trash, but recycle when possible and donate as much as possible because I personally am very green or at least as green as I can be. And even in my business, I've put a lot of things in place to make sure that I am limiting my business's carbon footprint as well as my own. So I always, always, always encourage anyone that I'm helping declutter or organize to not just throw everything in a trash bag and throw it into a landfill because it hurts our mother earth. Number 10, be mindful. As you declutter and organize and get your home where it needs to be, be thankful for the home you have and the area that you have. And think about how blessed you are to have stuff that you can throw away. I think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed, especially neurodivergent people that I've worked with. While we're going through the process, they seem to be more shame and guilt oriented and i think that because that's because we often go through a lot of different traumas than the average person and we're kind of hard on ourselves and you know people have made it very clear that maybe we're not easy to deal with or manage and we often internalize that so while you're going through this instead of focusing on oh my god why did i even buy that what's wrong with me focus on wow, I am so blessed right now to have all this crap that I don't need. And in the future, I'm maybe going to be more mindful about it and think about kind of the positive, like, wow, I have a home that I really love or a home that I'm trying to love right now by doing this. But just be mindful that a lot of people are in a very different scenario and it's really good to try to give what you can like I said, being responsible to those people that are in need, like different charities. Um, One really great one is Habitat for Humanity. They often have um, furniture stores and things like that that go directly to the people that they're building homes for. So there's a lot of places that you can give to. I just also encourage you to do your research And make sure that you're not giving to a company that just throws everything away that they don't sell. Uh, Not going to name any names, but it's good to do a little research and have a plan of where you're going to recycle or donate. So those are the 10 tips. And I wanted to go through each one and kind of help you figure them out. But first, we're going to go over how to declutter. And I like to do that because... Decluttering sounds really easy. You're just like, oh, great. Like, I'm going to do this now. And then you kind of get started. And I hear all the time from my clients, like, oh, like, what do I do with it? What do I do with that? And then you get so overwhelmed so fast. So I'm not just telling you in this podcast, go ahead and declutter now. Like, I'm going to tell you how to do it. So decluttering is not something that has to be a huge, massive undertaking. Like, For instance, 
one of my colleagues, I'm going to say, and I'm totally kidding by that, but Marie Kondo did a show on Netflix and she is a huge author and professional organizer, but she has very different methods than I do. She has a very different outlook on a lot of things and she has um, taken some Eastern influences into her approach, um, but it has made a big Western impact mainly on suburban housewives. Um, so if you are into Marie Kondo and love the Marie method, I'm probably not the best organizer for you because I am very different. But my whole point is that she did a show where she would show up and have people just completely empty out their closets onto their bed and there's just like giant piles of crap all over the place and then she just leaves. And I was really shocked because I have never ever done that to my clients. Like we tackle whatever I think we can in in a session, but I was just like wow, like 90% of my clients if I came in and did that after I left would completely freak out. Um, so I found that very interesting. And my point is don't do that. Like that's not a good plan. You are going to get so overwhelmed and it's going to be really hard. And if you're anything like me, you're going to take everything out of your closet and then walk away and never want to go back into your room because <laughs> that's how I am. So don't do too much. That is scary. Uh, consider going into this first by decluttering maybe just 15 or 30 minutes a day or a couple times a week. And during that time, like I said, limit your distractions, silence your phone, don't check your email or social media, just focus on maybe 15 to 30 minutes per day. And before you plan to declutter, this is something that not many professional organizers will tell you, but I always tell this to all my clients. Your physical health when you are going into a whole home revamp or you're going to declutter your whole home and things like that, it's really important to focus on your physical health during that time because your physical health directly supports your mental health. If you are eating and drinking water and staying hydrated properly, it's really important and it's a huge support to your mental health during this time when you're kind of throwing yourself into something that you know is going to overwhelm you that is not easy for you. So step one is make sure that you are eating healthy, staying hydrated, and sleeping as much as possible around the days when you're going to be decluttering. I mean, you should do that all the time, but I understand in this world we live in, it's not always possible or easy to do, but it is something you should focus on before you start decluttering. So when you're decluttering, like I said, you can pick a plan of either tackling categories or rooms. Like I said, I like to tackle certain areas of the rooms together just because if I am too all over the place, I will not be able to really focus. Um, so I like to do, say, one drawer at a time of my desk or all of my clothes um, or just the closet in general. I have small closets. If you have a very large closet, then you'd want to tackle one little section of your closet at a time and then move on if you feel like you can. And if you can't, then don't. Um, but while you're decluttering, 
it's really important to ask yourself questions. And by the way, I'm going to be handing all of this out to you and offering you a download of this information. Um, basically, ask yourself when's the last time that you used or wore the item? Ask yourself, will I ever use or wear this again? Did I use this last time I did this or just say like seasonal clothing? Say, did I even wear this last winter? And if you didn't, you're probably not going to wear it this winter. So it's okay to get out, get rid of it. If you have a sentimental item that is not usable, usable or practical for you, but it's something that you really just don't want to get rid of, consider taking a picture of it, a digital picture, just for your memory. And then you have something to hold on to and you can get rid of it and it can stop taking up space in your home. Also, a huge thing after you ask yourself those questions, consider the sunk cost fallacy. This is life-changing for my clients that I tell this to, but basically the sunk cost fallacy is a logical fallacy that means we often put emotional value on items based on how long we've owned the item or how much time we've spent on it. So basically, when you buy something, even if you didn't even really want it and you've held on to it for 10 years and you're like, why do I even have, have this? It's a fallacy to think, well, I've had this so long, uh, I'm just going to keep it. But the truth is, it's not even real value that you're putting on it. You're putting on it emotional value because you've had it a long time. You falsely have this idea that it's worth more to you, but it's not. It's worth just as little as the day you bought it, even when you didn't mean it. Probably less value, actually. Let's talk about emotional depreciation. <laughs> um, so when you struggle with knowing that you won't use something but feel guilty donating it or giving it away or throwing it away if it's not donatable, know that it's common. This is very, very common, but it's not real. Tell yourself, you know what? This doesn't even have real value. Why am I doing this? Like logically kind of overtake your emotions on that, but that is very common. Also, don't expect decluttering to be easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it all the time and we wouldn't even have to have this podcast. Um, I think that it's really common for us to be like, oh yeah, declutter. I'm not, I'm not, not yeah, I'm just going to dive in. Just, it's so important to realize that decluttering is not very easy. It's overwhelming. It takes a lot of time. I've spent 40 hours plus with my clients and we're not even talking about people with like gross homes or anything like that. We're talking about people with just a lot of stuff. And the decluttering part takes the longest. Once you've decluttered, you can kind of go in and organize and all of that, but it takes a lot of time. So if you're kind of expecting it to be easy or, oh yeah, I can bang this out in a weekend, when you realize that, wow, this is not easy and wow, this is taking a long time, it's harder to kind of get yourself out of that mental rut that you're going to hit by not being realistic. So it's really important to kind of stay there and, and realize, okay, this is going to take planning. This is going to take time. This is going to take mental and physical effort and be ready for those challenges and that effort that you're going to have to put into it. Consistency is key. 
Yes, that's easier said than done. But if you plan to show up for 15 to 30 minutes, four days a week, then show up because this is for you or your family, you and your family. This is self-care, honestly. This is stuff that we have to do that improve the quality of our life. It's been proven in countless studies that a clean and tidy home creates less stress and anxiety in your home. People who have clean and tidy homes have better mental health and things like that. This is a personal support that you're doing for yourself. While I know it's not always easy and it can be very, very challenging, schedule yourself those 15 or 30 minutes a day to declutter and do it. And if there's a day when you can't, then reschedule it. Don't just not do it and skip it. Maybe just reschedule for another time when you can that week as soon as possible. Lean on your support system. This is a big one. If you know you need help with this and you've tried to do this a million times, get people there who can support you. Not people who are going to make it harder, but it's easier to get them there. Like say a mother-in-law or your mom or someone who annoys you or, you know, maybe like you and your husband fight about the house all the time or you and your wife or spouse, I should say, um, if you have a spouse that you are constantly fighting about the house, that probably shouldn't be your support person. So choose that realistically as well. But if you're struggling, ask for help. Ask for help. I know it sounds silly, but so many people don't until they are drowning. So ask for help before you're drowning. Get an accountability buddy or ask a friend and family person to come help you. Um, basically, it's just a matter of figuring out how someone can help you. Some people just need kind of like accountability support and some people need physical help to stay on task or motivated or stay focused and things like that, which is what I typically do for my clients. It's kind of I'm there helping them stay focused and we get stuff done while I'm there. And of course, like I said earlier, have a plan. So have a plan and stick to it. So let's get into the physical aspects of decluttering. I always tell my clients to set up a trash recycling and donation area, all of them three separate areas. Basically, you have, I like to color code my bags. So while I'm decluttering either at my home or with my clients, I have a black trash bag for donations and I use a white trash bag for trash and then recycling just kind of gets thrown to the side. Um, that way you don't get it mixed up with trash. So basically it, st- it keeps it very easy. It doesn't get jumbled and it keeps you from being halfway done and then kind of not realizing where you are in the process and just like throwing everything away. So it just kind of keeps you organized as you go. Um, but you can figure out what works for you. Some people just do piles, like they have a trash pile or a donation pile, a recycling pile, and then they just bag it up later. And that works as well. If you're a visual person, it doesn't hurt to write out a paper uh, on a piece of paper, either trash, recycling, donation, something like that to make it easier uh, instead of it's going to get really exhausting basically is if after every time 
you are figuring out if you're going to keep or donate or trash something, if you're having to look and process, okay, which pile is it? <laughs> That's like, it's just little things that you can do to keep yourself from getting really overwhelmed too quick. So while you're sorting and asking yourself those questions I mentioned, um, you want to be asking yourself, do I need it? Do I want this? Am I going to use it? Does it take up a lot of space? Can I have a smaller solution for this? Um, things like that. So say you want to keep something, that's a category. We have a donate category, of course. We have a trash and recycling, different categories. But there's a really important part to that that we haven't talked about yet. And that's the maybe pile or bag. The maybe is the most important category. And this is something that I came up with partly to kind of speed my clients along because yes, I'm ADHD and um, not going to lie when I have clients who are like, I don't know, I don't know. And then we kind of like struggle through that decision that, you know, it, it eats so much time. It's like 10 to 15 minutes. And then you're like, ah. so I was like, I don't know. It just kind of started out of my own <laughs> impulsivity, honestly. And then when we started doing it this way, I'm like, oh, we are on to something because what happens is it's twofold. You have a maybe pile. And if you look at something and immediately are like, oh my God, this is going to be a hard decision. Don't do it. Put it to the side. Don't even worry about it. If you are worrying about every little decluttered decision, you're not going to last long at all. You're going to get five minutes in and be like, this sucks and like want to stop. But if you focus on the easy solutions first, then all of a sudden you're building decision-making confidence. You are making all the easy decisions first and you're not stressing out every time you're asking yourself a question. So this is so important. It's the most important pile. If you immediately are not sure if you want to keep or donate something, put it in the maybe pile and worry about it later. Now, separate the items. So as you make those decisions, you're putting it into piles or bags. And then you are utilizing the maybe pile properly and you are going through these decisions quickly and as efficiently as possible. And then as you go through a category or a section of your room or you finish a room, then you have a maybe pile and then you schedule in when you're going to go through that section. If you get done and you're tired, then you go back to it next time. That's it. It sounds so simple. <laughs> um, it's really, really, really important to kind of understand what decluttering is. Decluttering is extremely physical. So if you have some sort of chronic illness or physical disability, it's very important that you get help with the physical aspects of decluttering and organizing because it's very exhausting and draining for people of all abilities. So it's it's very important if you are prone to fatigue and overwhelm and um, or if you have specific physical challenges related to this type of activity, then definitely get help for that. It's also very emotionally and mentally exhausting because all of a sudden you are thinking and making a lot of decisions at once. 
So that's a main reason why I was saying that how you eat and hydrate and sleep ahead of time is so important because it is exhausting. And I typically um, really focus on that the most with my clients. And often they will not listen to me until we start and then they see how physically exhausting and emotionally and mentally taxing it can be. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you were right. I really was not prepared for this and I should have had my lunch early or, um, you know, slept better last night and things like that. And that's like, you know, when I'm going into their home and and they're scheduling with me, I can't tell you how many times they've been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then I've heard you were so right. So keep that in mind. And we are going to go back to tip number one, mapping out your plan. You can do that really easily by basically just writing everything down. Say that your living room is pretty organized, but your kitchen is a total mess or your basement is a total mess. Just like basically list out all the areas that you definitely want to focus on. And then the second is streamlining that. And that's really important because it helps you, especially for the visual people, it helps you stay focused. It gives you a list to check off, which helps you with understanding, oh, wow, I'm getting somewhere. Like if you're just doing this kind of willy-nilly, it's not going to feel like you're doing a lot. And also it's really important to remember that your home will look worse before it gets better because as you're going through everything, you're going to be kind of moving things around. You're making piles, things like that. So it's so important to have a plan that you can see and check off because if you are prone to getting overwhelmed pretty easily, when you start seeing piles all over your house, you're really going to be freaking out. But your streamlined plan is what kind of helps you overcome that and get through it. Um, Number three, of course, as you're streamlining your plan is the be realistic. And that's what's so important. Don't overschedule yourself. If you are someone who has a crazy work schedule and you work 12 hours a day, do not plan anything for after work because you're not going to want to do it. And then all of a sudden you're going to feel guilt and shame that you scheduled yourself for a time when you really shouldn't have and you don't do it. And then you're going to be down on yourself. So just plan stuff for your days off or schedule a, you can always schedule if you have paid time off, schedule some time for yourself and do it then when you know that you'll be able to do it. I can't tell you how many clients have been like, I want to take a week off of work. Can you just come every day and help me in my home? And I've done whole homes with people in like a week and it's really hard and stressful and they regret it halfway through every time, even though we have a streamlined plan and we're going through everything together. Um, But in the end, they are so happy and they're so happy that they stuck with it and scheduled that time for themselves. Four, be prepared because like I said, things are going to happen. You're going to have days where you scheduled yourself time and something popped up or you got sick or, you know, all this other stuff or your kid got sick or or all anything can happen or you you got all this extra work that was given to you at work and you had to stay late or something like that. So be prepared for scheduling changes. And instead of, like I said earlier, instead of just being like, oh, I didn't do it. Um, I, I'm, 
horrible at this. I can't do that. You know, don't go in this like shame spiral. (laughs) Instead, just be like, I cannot do this today. I don't have the mental uh, stability today to do this. So what I'm going to do is reschedule this for this time. Try to do within a couple days and depending on your circumstances, of course. And if you reschedule it and then stick to it, you don't have any guilt or shame. So it's really important to be prepared for the road roadblocks. And number five is be intentional. You want to really be realistic with your decision-making. You want to seriously think about what you need and what you don't need. Do you need a lot of purses? Like how many purses do you actually use or how many shoes do you need? I know uh, men and women who um, have a lot of sneakers or high heels and things like that. And it's totally just like taking over their closet. There's no way they need that many. I've had clients who have like $1,000 high heels and they haven't worn them in like 10 years. (laughs) but they spent so much money on it. That's that sunk cost fallacy where it's like, I spent a thousand dollars and I'm never going to wear these again, but I can't get rid of them. So say you have something worth money, sell it on Poshmark or eBay or some secondhand type thing. If you're worried about the money and get some money in return, but if you're not going to use it, it has to go, especially if you live in a tight space because you don't need it. And everything in your home, the decision is, do I want to take the effort on maintaining this item? Because you are responsible for every item in your home. And if you're anything like me, less is more. And I want to take care of as little as possible so that I can lay in bed as much as possible because that's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) That is how I decompress. That's how I do my self-care. I just decompress in bed. And the less stuff I have to take care of, the more time I have to do that. (laughs) Six, minimize distractions. That's pretty obvious. I don't have to tell you. Um, If you are someone who is very easily distractible, then you might be someone who needs someone to come into your home, whether that be a friend a family member or a professional organizer that helps keep you on task. Um, It's very important that you understand your strengths, but also your weaknesses so that you can kind of help yourself through this process and make it as painless as possible. And with that, I conclude episode 27 of the Not Neurotypical podcast, all about decluttering and getting organized. And I have a feeling we'll be continuing this discussion soon. So have a great rest of your week and until next time.